0: Hey, everybody. Uh, My name is Greg Miller. I'm a senior editor with Freight Waves and American Shipper. Uh, uh, And today I'm speaking to Randy Givens, uh, the lead shipping analyst at Jeffrey's Bank. Uh, Randy, it's always great to talk to you. Thanks for being with us.
1: My pleasure, Greg. Looking forward to it. Thanks again for having me.
0: Yeah. So uh, Randy and I are going to speak about investing in container shipping stocks. Uh, And actually, it was almost exactly a year ago that Randy and I spoke on this Exact same subject. And I went back and re-listened to the tape yesterday, and it's hilarious. Neither of us knew what was about to happen. Neither of us knew what was going to come. Uh, If you think about this time last year, there were 40 ships uh, waiting at anchor off Los Angeles, Long Beach. Uh, That went up to about 100. Uh, We had the ever-given accident uh, in March uh, in the Suez Canal. We had the uh, charter ship market go completely crazy. At one point, people were and container ships at $200,000 a day. We had the spot freight, freight market also go crazy. Depends on what index you look at. But you know, last October, uh, spot freight rates were about 8.5 times what they normally were. So people thought it was going to be a good year, but no one knew just how good it was going to be. And, and to invest in this, there's three different ways. You could uh, buy stocks in shipping lines. You can buy stocks in the companies that own the ships, that lease them to uh, the liners, or you could buy stocks in the companies that own the container equipment, the boxes, and lease those to the liners. So let's start first uh, with the liner companies. And uh, some of the preliminary numbers for last year uh, have been coming out in the last couple of weeks, and they're incredible numbers. On average, it looks like uh, liner companies quadrupled their earnings last year versus the year before. And so that brings us to now, uh, 2022. I just looked at the spot rates. Uh, they're still almost twice what they were at this time last year. Um, So, you know, the comps are good. It's possible that at least in the first half of the year, uh, uh, spot freight rates uh, for containers could actually be better this year than last year. Uh, If you look at the contract market for the annual contracts, it's early, uh, but all the indications are that the contracts this year are going to be better than they were last year. So you add this all up, and, and as great as last year was, there is a case to be made um, that the liner companies could actually make more money in 2022, even if the spot rates year on year are down in the last couple quarters of the year. Um, so what I want to ask you, Randy, is uh, about how liner stocks uh, are, are, what's moving them, how they behave, how, how focused are they on just the spot rates versus the bigger picture? Because the scenario I just talked about, it's possible that the spot rates could sort of meander lower throughout this year, but overall, uh, profits could be up. So uh, how do you see liner stocks playing out in 2022?
1: Hey, uh, that's a great question, Greg, and, and something we get a lot, right? Uh, part of it is rate of change. And clearly throughout 2021, it was really just w- one direction, and that was higher. Now, late October, early November, rates pulled back a little bit. People were you know, screaming, oh, this is the beginning of the end. We're going back to pre-COVID levels for two weeks, right? And then ever since then, rates have continued to, to go higher. So right now, people are certainly looking at the SCFI and Fredo's and Jewelries and all these other kind of uh, indices to see what is happening with spot rates. But as you mentioned, the contract rates are very important for all minor companies. Again, the one we cover, uh, the most U.S.-listed Zim. It's about 25% of their volumes, So those contract rates will certainly be higher starting May 1st, right? So for the duration of 22 compared to the majority of 21. So that is certainly going to provide some upside. But solely focused on spot rates, right? Right now, we're at very strong levels. The SCFI has been above 5,000 per TU for six weeks. And that's what investors are looking at. Um, the, The spot rate environment, the rate of change, I'm in the camp that rates are going to gradually go lower. I am not in the camp that it's going to be a collapse and we're going back to pre-COVID levels in three months. Clearly, there are people who think that. If not, Zim would already be a $100 stock. So I think that's the real focus right now is kind of the near-term spot rates trajectory. And again, we should hear more about the contract rates, uh, at least by March when they report earnings and certainly by May uh, once they become uh, enacted.
0: Okay, so let's look even further out. Um, one of the big things that did happen uh, since we spoke a year ago is people ordered an awful lot of container ships. Uh, there were a lot of ship orders. Uh, I spoke to Alpha Liner the other day, and they estimate now that uh, the, the tonnage on order is 23.3% uh, of the tonnage on the water. So there's a big chunk of new capacity come on the line. It's not happening this year. Almost all of it is happening in 2023 and 2024. Um, during a call by Maersk last year, uh, the CEO, Soren Skou said, uh, when asked about the new builds, he said, it doesn't matter how many ships exist in the world. It matters how many ships are in service. So I, the big question with all of these new ships coming on stream is, can the liners... uh blank or cancel sailings to pull back, if, if there's too much capacity coming on, can they counteract that by canceling some sailings, by letting, um, you know, some of their charters roll off, by selling their older ships? Uh, is it possible for liners um, to uh, come up with a strategy that, that allows them um, to handle all of the capacity that's coming in to 23 and 24?
1: Absolutely. This is not a conceptual or academic question. We saw this, right, in February through May of 2020. February and March, COVID was breaking out throughout Asia. Production of goods was reduced. April and May, Europeans and Americans were like, well, we're not going to spend money because of the economic uncertainty. We're going lockdowns. We've got this pandemic happening. Save what you can. So during those four months, we saw a lot of cargo cancellations of blank sailings of capacity discipline uh, by the liners so we've already seen it so we're going to see it again now secondly to the point about the order book there's a few quick nuances here yes it's 23 absolutely but at the same time 23 percent of the fleet's already over 15 years of age so a lot of that's going to be for replacement secondly The average fleet, the average speed is going to slow down in 2023 with IMO 2023 and all these regulations, which we won't get into now. But that's a a big component. Third, and I think the most important thing is, who cares if 100, 300, 500 new ships miraculously appear tomorrow? That's not going to help anything. That's just going to add more traffic jam and more congestion uh, in the Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, everything. So more ships, it will maybe help. But that is not a panacea, and that is not going to correct, fix the market and the supply chain issues. And it's not going to drop rates dramatically either.
0: On the congestion issue, um, you know, I'm almost wondering if, uh, when you look at rates, is it, is it really about ship supply anymore, or is it really about landside congestion? I mean, if you think about uh, last peak season, you know, the carriers put 30% more capacity into the Trans-Pacific, but the rates went up anyway. Uh, and that's because all the ships got stuck in the queue and all the cargo got stuck on the ships and on the terminals. So, uh, what do you think about this sort of landside logjam and rates? And how long do you think that that uh, landside issue is going to last?
1: You're absolutely right. It's not an issue about supply of ships, supply of containers making it to the US or Europe, but especially here in the US. It's about getting them off the ship and getting them off the terminal and through truck and rail and uh, the whole distribution network is so systemically congested, and the supply chain issues really go far beyond shipping, right? Uh, the ships are fine. There's a- enough cargo in the water. There's not enough cargo at the ports and getting them off. So the land side congestion is really the big issue. It can't really be regulated away. you know, politicians want to think they can do much, but it's really a demand uh, story. So I think it persists throughout 22 and into 2023.
0: Yeah, so if it's a a demand issue, I mean, if you think about it, so much of all this relates around U.S. demand, whether it is uh, consumers buying things or inventory restocking, it seems to all come down, you know, the log jam, uh, you know, the rates, the demand, it seems to all come down to the U.S. and what's going on here, and how much, you know, how much more legs do you think it has here in the United States, because this is what's really supporting everything.
1: That is certainly a great question, right? There was clearly some help with all the stimulus throughout 2020 and into 2021. And obviously, there's a big shift in consumer spending from services to goods. And it happened almost immediately back in May, right, of 2020. So, immediate shift to goods, slowly shifting back to services. People are going out to eat and going to sporting events and concerts and, you know, traveling. Uh, But that's a gradual change both psychology, uh, right, to go back to spending on that. And also from a government perspective, it's very easy to immediately enforce a lockdown. It's not easy to say, oh, everything's open again. We're back to pre-COVID levels. Go about your business. That just doesn't happen. So it's a very gradual, slow shift. Plus there's still a lot of inventory uh, restocking that needs to take place and other things. So I think it persists longer. There's certainly a slowdown in demand for goods. There is a shift back to services, of course, uh, but it's a gradual shift, and it's going to take some time.
0: Yeah. Last question on the liner sector before we move on, and real quickly, Zim uh, has a, has been performing incredibly. It's, what, more than four times higher than its IPO price. Um, what's the argument for buying Zim today, given how high it's going? It's hard. The IPO price didn't
1: matter, right? They raised $225 million in the IPO, 15 million shares, $15 a share. They didn't care if the IPO price was a dollar right? They just wanted a liquid entity for the hundred million of shares that were already outstanding. Again, they only issued 15 million new shares. So it was all about getting a publicly traded uh, liquid stock. So the IPO price didn't matter much. So you can't say, oh, well, it was, it was 15 and now it's, it went to 11 the first few days and now it's 68. Um, so you can't look at the IPO price. Secondly, the market has improved phenomenally since then, right? The balance sheet is the best it's ever been. We have negative net debt, right? More cash than debt or long-term lease liabilities, anything you want to look at. The earnings trajectory, they're going to do six and a half plus billion in EBITDA last year. And maybe again this year, right? Maybe six, maybe seven, maybe five and a half, maybe seven and a half, whatever it is. We're looking at massive free cash flow here. Big dividends coming, still trading at discounts to its peers. We really like Zim
0: yeah so so let's move on to the uh the leasing companies the companies that lease the ships to the liners these stocks have also done incredibly well uh companies like Danaus, uh gsl costamari uh euroseas navios partners a number of them uh, you know picking on Danaus for a second um if you look back two years ago to this time two years ago that stock has gone up 20 times i mean that's uh, very, very. That's incredible. I mean, that's that's almost like a winning the lottery there. Uh, so, after it's gone up that much, uh, is there a psychological barrier to buying something like denounce now? And in general, uh, you know, what do you see as far as the room to run for these container ship leasing stocks?
1: Yep, it, it was under three dollars for a few weeks there in February, March of 2020. So it's gone up 30 times, right? Um, now it's at 95. So with that, we were pounding the table, but it's hard to pound the table at the time on a sixty million dollar market cap, three dollars times twenty million shares. Right now, the market cap's almost two billion. Right, a lot more trading liquidity, a lot more volume there. Um, and again, earnings at the time when we were pounding the table at three, five, seven dollars, it was trading at a one-time PE. Right now, obviously, even with the run up to ninety-five dollars, it's trading about. Two and a half to three times. La- the, the locked in cash flow visibility is massive, $2.8 billion revenue backlog. So you, the market, again, for them has improved dramatically. Rates have stepped up, as we all know, but the durations have been extended. So instead of signing a one year charter for a vessel, it's two, three, four, five year charters, and they're signing them way in advance, right? We're talking about vessels that are coming open in late 22, if not early 23. So for Danaus, the cash flow visibility is massive. The war chest of cash is huge. Still a lot of upside from here. And yes, looking at a chart, it's like, whoa, I missed it. I heard I missed it when it was 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. I've heard that for the last year and a half. So there's still upside from here.
0: And what moves these stocks? I mean, uh, usually it's counterparty risk uh, and the rates themselves. But you know, most of these companies have uh, you know their rates locked in for this year already, and the counterparty risk is zero. Uh, do these also uh, do these stocks also look back to like sort of for example a spot freight rate on the assumption that when spot freight rates fall that sometime in the future there's going to be counterparty risk and that the uh, you know that the charter rates are going to come down what's what's moving these stocks now
1: yeah uh, that's certainly part of it right they have like I said massive cash flow visibility and charter backlog throughout 22 most of 23 the majority of 24 even. Um, so, yeah, spot rates, container ship rates, new contracts. The big thing is capital allocation as well. Right? What do they do with all this cash? Is it a bigger dividend? Is it share buybacks? Is it m a activity, buying secondhand ships, ordering ships? So I think at this point, it's really about capital allocation because you're right. There, there's not many chartering kind of revenue driving announcements that they're going to do in the next few weeks or months um, until they start forward fixing uh, for the back half of 2023.
0: Yeah, so going back to the question of all of these new builds that have been ordered. Uh you know, historically when uh there's a, you know, a big surge of capacity coming into the market, it's really the the containership lessors that take the hit first before the liners do. Um and you know, I understand that a lot of these companies have longer term leases that are giving them a lot of protection uh in 2023 and 24, but you know, to be honest, there are there still are going to be contracts that are Rolling off then, there is still going to be that renewal exposure. And if you look at companies like Costamari, uh, they've heavily diversified into dry bulk, which implies to me at least that uh, you know they don't want to have all their eggs in one basket with all these new builds coming on. So you know from your perspective, how serious of a threat um, is the sort of this wave of new builds to these you know this group of leasing stocks? that's a fair question
1: right and and part of the diversification from uh, a and others is right you're not only competing against other containership owner lessors you're also competing against the liner companies now that are buying secondhand tonnage right um so i i can understand some of the diversification there and you're right there is some rechartering risk uh, and market risk as these new builds get delivered in 2024 2025 but i think it goes back to my initial comments in terms of a decent amount of those vessels are replacement tonnage for older vessels. Scrapping was like at an all-time low in 21. It can't stay that way forever. IMO 2023 is going to slow down the fleet. Um, So growth, global growth and demand for container shipping is continuing to go higher. Um, So for all of those reasons, the order book is probably not as much of a concern as it was five or six years ago, uh, right when it was 30, 40, 50%. Uh, But at 23%, I think it's pretty manageable since it is spread out over four years. But again, basically any vessel you see today that's 20 years old, probably is not operating uh, two, three, four years from now.
0: And okay, great. Uh, Last question, and just very briefly, um, uh, you know, and we talked about this last year, the sort of rotation from growth to value and how that relates to shipping. And and we're still talking about that this year. But I mean, just very briefly, uh, what do you think the environment is sort of on a broader scale? Uh, from an investment perspective, for shipping stocks in general?
1: Yeah, um, I think it continues, right? There is a rotation from momentum growth names into economically sensitive global uh, trade-driven names, right? Value investing. We saw that in 2021, really. The average shipping stock that we had on a buy rating was up 87%. Um, So there was many that doubled, even tripled. So this year, even year to date, we've seen an outperformance by the shipping sector relative to the Russell 2000, relative to the S&P 500, NASDAQ, whatever other indice you want to look at. So I think that shift continues, especially in a high inflation, high interest rate environment. You want value stocks.
0: As always, Randy, it's great to talk to you. And uh, I just have a sneaking suspicion that when we talk one year from today, uh, we will be surprised yet again. But uh, thank you for joining me.
1: Sounds great. Hey, thanks again. And we'll talk soon.